0: Church family, as our pastoral team has continued to pray for you and pray for ourselves and for our city and our world this week, two words keep coming to our minds. And those are the words, lament and hope. I think Jesus wants to teach us this week about the themes of lament and hope. Now, lament is the spiritual discipline of coming into God's presence in order to name and grieve for the brokenness of the world, including our own brokenness. And lament in the Bible is connected to the Christian virtue of hope. Hope is the spirit-empowered habit of confidently, joyfully looking forward to the future fulfillment of God's promises. Lament and hope go together in the Bible and in the Christian life. We see this, for example, in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. In this text, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, I think he's talking about this spiritual discipline of lament. Christians are people who have been forgiven by Jesus who have been brought into a relationship with Jesus by grace. And because we're close to Jesus, we come to share in his compassion and in his grief that the world is not as it ought to be. The world is broken by sin and injustice and death and sickness. But with that experience of grief and lament, also comes this experience of hope, which Jesus is talking about in the second half of the verse. They shall be comforted. This is a promise that Jesus is going to come back and set everything right. And disciples of Jesus believe that the same Jesus, Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and came back to life, will return. And when he comes back, the world will be healed. No more death, no more sickness, no more pain. Now I think these words of lament and hope, Jesus is bringing to the forefront right now for a lot of reasons. The world already was filled with pain and sin and brokenness before the COVID-19 crisis hit us. And now there's this whole other level of, of pain and frustration that we're experiencing. And this week in my own spiritual life, I just sensed that God was bringing to my attention the fact that there was some stuff going on inside of my soul. I was sad and frustrated about uh, so many of the circumstances in my life and in the world and I really hadn't taken the time to slow down and process this stuff in prayer with God. I needed to lament. And what I've found this week and other times in my life is that when I slow down to practice the spiritual discipline of lament, it helps me become less self-centered actually and more God-centered. helps me to become less self-reliant and more God-reliant. It also helps me to properly grieve in a way that sort of frees me up to be more empathetic to other people. But when this discipline of lament is connected to Christian hope, hope in the Bible is very empowering. Because of the character of God and the promises of God, Christian people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can hope in a way that gives us this sort of gritty, resilient, almost stubborn Joyful determination to keep doing good, to keep loving our neighbors, to keep telling the truth and sharing the gospel and steadfastly caring for hurting and vulnerable people, even in horrible circumstances that seem absolutely hopeless to the rest of the world. So as we learn this kind of dance between lament and hope, I think the Holy Spirit uses that to help us follow Jesus on a path of love. To help us go deeper into these themes, we're going to turn some attention to the biblical book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is a book of the Bible that consists of five poems which express the grief and the pain and frustration that Israel felt when they were conquered and carried off into exile in Babylon. There's a lot of raw emotion, but we're going to Uh, fix our attention on chapter three, which contains grief and pain and frustration, but also profound statements of hope. So I'm going to hand it over right now to Jared Stevenson, one of the pastors in our church, to read to us
1: from Lamentations chapter three. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my past crooked. He is bare, lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turns aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples the objects of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid upon him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. And let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God
0: for this powerful text of scripture, which I think has so much to teach us about the spiritual discipline of lament and about um, how important it is to remember God's character and God's promises, even as we're processing our pain in the presence of God. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote this poem. The book of Lamentations is anonymous. There's an ancient tradition, Jewish and Christian tradition, that says that the prophet Jeremiah may have written this book, but we don't know for sure. At any rate, the the speaker here is speaking in a deeply personal way, but they also seem to be speaking in a way that sort of expresses the collective experience of God's people, Israel, when they were disciplined by God for their sin and carried off in in exile. And they went through a lot of kinds of suffering, political oppression, physical suffering, economic suffering, but here there's a deep emotional and spiritual pain that's being processed. Now, I want to invite you to join me in observing a few things about this text. First thing I think we have to take note of is the really honest, raw, authentic, expression of deep intense pain. There are some people in our church family and some people watching this video who know what it's like to be in deep depression. Others of us maybe haven't felt anything quite this deep, but we all know what it's like to be discouraged. We all know what it's like to feel pain. And right now in the world, I think there's so many people who are feeling deep discouragement. So let's just look at how emotionally honest this text is. For example, verses four through six, uh, say this, My flesh and my skin waste away. That's a graphic image of physical suffering. Verse 5 talks about being surrounded and besieged by bitterness. Uh, verse 6 talks about dwelling in darkness like the dead of long ago. Now that's raw language, that's powerful imagery, talking about deep Hurt, deep discouragement. And I think one of the most painful verses in this whole text is verse 17, which says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Perhaps some people watching this video have experienced that deep level of hurt, grief, perhaps depression, in which you can't even remember what it felt like to be happy. That's what's being described described here. It's really raw stuff. But I think it's also important to note that this raw expression of hurt is um, connecting the speaker's experience of pain to the speaker's relationship with God. That is clear right from the beginning. Look with verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Now, when it says his, that's talking about God. So the person is saying, I know that my suffering in this case is the rod of God's discipline. Now, I want to pause right here and say, uh, the only, you know, there's many reasons that people suffer in a fallen world. And the Bible does not teach that if you're going through pain, it's necessarily the case that God is disciplining you for your sin. For example, we got the whole book of Job and the Bible as a reminder that sometimes, for reasons that we really can't understand, really godly people who do what is right and trust the Lord suffer unjustly. And Job often brings his complaint to God and says, God, I'm innocent. Why are you treating me like this? Moreover, we can read the Psalms. You know, the book of Psalms contains many, many prayers and about one-third of the book of Psalms consists of psalms of lament in which people are saying things like, how long will you leave me in this situation, God? Sometimes they say, God, I'm suffering because of my sin and I need to be forgiven by you. But other times they say, God, I've been obeying you. I've been walking with you and I don't understand why you're letting me go through this. But in either way, there's people who are being honest about their pain and they're bringing it into the presence of God. They're relating their experience to their relationship with God. Now, i got to say right here, I am not trying to encourage all of us to feel horrible and to feel discouraged in this way. What I am saying is, if you do feel discouraged, if you do feel pain, if you are grieving, if you feel frustrated, you just need to practice acknowledging that to God. Just be honest with Him about it. Moreover, as we get to know God in a deeper way... Um, One of the things that happens is we actually get more sensitive to the realities of evil in the world. I mean, Jesus himself practices lament. Let me give you an example. In uh, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, there's this scene where Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and he loves the people of Jerusalem. And yet the people are choosing sin, and he knows they're about to suffer for it. And in verse 34, we read this. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus is lamenting here the pain that's about to come on Jerusalem because they've rejected his love. There's other places where we see Jesus expressing grief. For example, in John chapter 11 when he's witnessing his friends Mary and Martha grieving because their brother Lazarus has died, the scripture says Jesus was deeply moved and he wept. Or we could think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to go to the cross and he's sweating drops of blood and crying out to God in in the agony of this moment. So we shouldn't be surprised then when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, because part of what happens as we grow more deep in our connection with Jesus is that his compassion and his sensitivity to the suffering of the world starts to make us more sensitive to to the suffering of people and to the reality of evil in the world but now I want to point out the, a third really important thing we have to learn from lamentations 3 and uh, what we see in the middle of this text is that the speaker makes a conscious decision to move, From naming his pain to stepping back and thinking about the goodness of God. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So I call something to mind. I'm going to stop and discipline my mind to think not just about my pain, but also about what verse 22 is about. Look at verse 22 with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and now look at how this turns to prayer. He doesn't just talk about God in the third person. He says, you, great is your faithfulness, God. As he stops to think about God's character as a loving God, and God's promises never to abandon his people, the speaker can move to a point of, being able to pray and say, God, I know you're not going to forsake me. And in the following verses, he's saying, look, I'm going to embrace whatever discipline I need to go through because I know the same God who's disciplining me right now is the God who can rescue me. And and therefore, I have hope. Now, it's important to notice right here, this hope is definitely not naive optimism. I mean, Lamentations 3 is not an optimistic chapter of the Bible. This is a book that's filled with expressions of intense pain. Okay, so it's not naive optimism. It's also not wishful thinking. The hope that's expressed right here is rooted in the character of God. God is good and rooted in the promises of God. God has promised never to abandon his people. He's promised to have mercy on us. And I want to ask you to join me in fixing our mind right now on a particular promise of Jesus that I think is really important for this moment in history, which I think has several implications. So I'm going to mention a promise of Jesus and two implications of this promise. The promise we find in John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus makes a simple powerful promise. If you look at Jesus and trust in Jesus, He will forgive your sin and bring you into God's family so that you can enjoy eternal life and so that you can know one day Jesus will bring you back from the dead to live with Him in a new creation. Now that's a radical promise. And if we really believe that promise, um, it frees us in powerful ways. One of the ways that it frees us is that we no longer have to be slaves to the fear of death. We see this implication expressed in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 through 15 it says this, since therefore the children that's talking about um the children of God, human beings share in flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, the son of God um became flesh and lived among us, that's Jesus. So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who suffer through fear, uh, excuse me, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What this is saying is that fear of death makes people slaves of the devil. But Christians, because we believe that if we've trusted in Jesus, we're going to rise again from the dead and we're going to enjoy eternal life in his presence. We don't have to be afraid of death. And that gives us a radical freedom as we live. Another implication of the promise of Jesus regarding resurrection is that um, because of that, we can know that whatever good work we're trying to do in the world, however we're trying to love people, it's not in vain. Look with me at 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, I want you to understand, Jesus promised that if we trust in Him, when we die, we're going to keep experiencing eternal life with Him in heaven, and then one day He's going to come back, and He's going to resurrect us, And we're going to live with him in a new creation. And from the perspective of that new creation, we'll be able to look back at all the attempts we made to obey him and love people in life. And we'll know, we'll finally see that none of them were in vain. He used all of them to accomplish marvelous things beyond what we could imagine. Now, if we believe that, there's a joy and a freedom that we have that allows us to keep loving people even in really discouraging circumstances. Now, what I want to do right now is give you uh, some help as this week you're trying to practice the discipline of lament and cultivate the virtue of hope. I want to give you some tools for that. The first thing I want to do is point you to a masterpiece of art which helps us to think about lament and hope. Then we're going to have Jared come back on the screen and share with us some of his laments and some of his hopes for this time. And then at the end of this video, I want to point you to a resource that I think will help you as you're trying to process all the emotions um, that probably all of us are feeling in different ways during this challenging time. To help our hearts and imaginations enter into these realities of lament and hope, I want to invite you to join me in giving some attention to these beautiful and moving frescoes on the inside of the Arena Chapel in Italy, painted by Giotto in the early 14th century. In particular, let's give attention to this painting which is all about lament. Here the friends of Jesus are grieving for his death and we see in particular the mother of Jesus, Mary, bent over with grief, gazing into his face. Um, This is a very human, very sad picture of lament. But it's not only human because Giotto wants us to see these angels that are also grieving for the horrible injustice of the crucifixion of the innocent Son of God. Perhaps these are the same angels who sung Peace on Earth when Jesus was born, and now they're wailing and lament. But these frescoes are also designed to remind us that the death of Jesus is not the end of the story. After Jesus died on the cross for our sins out of love for us, he came back to life. And you see, to the right of this painting of lament, is a painting of the resurrection of Jesus. In this scene, we have highlighted the moment in John chapter 20, verse 17, when Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, don't touch me yet, because I still need to ascend to my Father, which reminds us uh, that the resurrection of Jesus is not the end of the story. The end of the story is seen here when Jesus returns. Here, Jesus is seated on a throne. He has come back in glory to set all things right and to heal the wounds of the world. Underneath his feet are um, the depictions of evil being judged in the bottom right of the screen. And on the left, sinners are being forgiven and cleansed and brought into the presence of God in heaven. Jesus is here surrounded by angels rejoicing and by some of the same figures who were lamenting his death in the painting we saw earlier. But now all grief is gone. Mourning has given way to joy this is a reminder for us that grief and lament are not permanent if we know Jesus if we set our hopes on Jesus Christ and on his second coming when he's going to set the world right that will give us a resilience so that we can grieve with joy and with hope in a way that allows us to keep loving our neighbors and keep doing good that's what Jared is about to talk to us about as he shares about his lament and hope during this time
1: I was asked to talk about some things that I'm lamenting during the COVID-19 crisis. And here's some things I'm lamenting right now. Um, Kids stuck in houses without a way to play. Um, I'm lamenting sheep harassed without a shepherd. And it seems like we can't go to them. Um, yesterday I was just reminded of that fact. When Matriano went to a door. to Knock on a door at Rosemont. And. Um, was trying to practice social distancing. While still being evangelistic. And the lady. Desperately asked for prayer. There's sheep all around us. Without a shepherd. And it's hard to go to them in these times. Um, another thing I'm lamenting is my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, uh, recently was diagnosed with dementia. And, uh, I was telling my community group about this, but she doesn't even know who I am anymore. Uh, and that's really difficult for me. Um, uh, and my family. And, uh, I'm just lamenting the effects of sin and the brokenness that it has incurred on the world. And um, and in the midst of COVID-19, you can just see this and everybody is probably experiencing this. But I'm I'm really hoping that's not the last time I see my grandma uh, again. And, uh, And so all this stuff is weighing heavy on me. I'm lamenting it and bringing it to the Lord. And asking him, Lord, will you deliver us? And uh, that's one of the things that I'm hoping in right now. In fact, in my quiet time this morning, Psalm 16 says, let me grab my Bible real quick. Psalm 16.5 says, Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And that is my hope. That's my hope. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Uh, That's my hope. And uh, as we lament in this season, I pray that we would also hope in the God who is our refuge.
0: I want to say thanks to Jared for being really honest and vulnerable as he was sharing what he's been processing during this challenging time. And now I want to point you to a couple of tools. Down in the description of this YouTube video, there is a link to a document prepared by Kay Warren, which is designed to help you process your emotions and move to a place of emotional health um, during this COVID-19 crisis that we're going through right now. I think if you took the time to use that worksheet, you might find it's a helpful tool that will help you to practice this spiritual discipline of lament. And I also want to say, we, we want to create opportunities this week for us as a church family to express what are we lamenting right now? What are we grieving right now? And how is our relationship with Jesus giving us hope? So uh, I want to invite you on social media um, through our church Facebook page to share. What are you lamenting and how is Jesus giving you hope? And also there's going to be an opportunity in our virtual community groups this week If you'd like to, you can share some of those things with other church members in that community. But before we end this video, I'm going to have Jared come back on one more time to say a prayer for
1: us. Well, let us close our time in some prayer. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for this time to be able to get together and pray and to hear your word. And Father, I really pray that you would help us to lament with hope to lament with hope, not to just lament, but to lament and hope. And Father, as we hope in you, Lord, would you bring us to the resurrected Son who gave his life for us and laid down his life so that we may have a hope that's eternal and unshakable. Lord, give us this this peace, Lord, that goes beyond all our circumstances. Give us joy, Lord, that's unshakable. We need you in these times. And, Father, if you do not give us this, Lord, we will not have it. And so, Father, we need you. We pray desperately to you. And, Father, we hope in you that you will do this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.